Well, it's Holy Diana. <laughs> you are you are the most holy Di- <laughs> Diana. Today is February the fourth, twenty nineteen, in the year of our Lord. Welcome to another Lectionary Musings podcast. I'm Diana. I am JP. Today, JP preached a message called Cross the Line based on the text Luke 4, 21 through 30 and 1 Corinthians 13. And today we are going to muse about that a little bit. I made a comment on Saturday that when I think of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 13, I immediately start to smell rented tuxedos. Why do you think that is? Everyone uses that chapter at weddings, but it's not really about a wedding. If you look at the context of what Paul was saying and who he was saying it to, it actually has a lot of implications for the church and for just the believers in the church, not specific to a wedding ceremony. Yeah, I think Paul was addressing the church in Corinth who had factions and division based upon a couple of things, some folks felt like their spiritual gifts were better than the other. Uh, There was a lot of folks fighting for a false sense of supremacy. Mm -hmm. And then you had folks who just felt like they were holier than other people because of what they didn't do. And it created a lot of us versus them competitive comparison within the church. Good thing we don't have that now. (laughs) I was going to just say one of the things I really liked in your message on Saturday was towards the end, you read the text, but you interjected the different streams of the faith in there. So you could see that it really speaks to all streams. I mean, through Pentecostals in there, the the more liturgical background. And uh, I, I thought that that was a really good reading of it because it made you have an aha moment like, oh, okay, so it's not really about a wedding. It's really about the church. And I think there's significance at the Sacred Commons because at the Sacred Commons, we are different streams coming together. And in order to come together, we need to be in love. And um, we can't be thinking that we're better than a different stream because we do this or in another way we do that. And um, it's all it's all for nothing if we're not doing everything out of love. Yeah. Love brings us together and love uh, allows us to recognize the common roots of the mm-hmm. faith that we all share. I was going to say the other thing that I thought was so important, and I think it might have been the premise of your whole message, is when you said that love is more important than being right. Yeah. I think more I'll... important. I said important. Oh, your diction is 20 <laughs> times better than mine. It's more important. When I go back and I edit and I listen to these podcasts, I realize I don't finish words. I just I just kind of stop. <laughs> I just kind of let my voice just drag out. I need to really enunciate better and have better diction. All that to say, love is more important than being right. And, and although that's, and diction, that's a simple sentence, but. <laughs> There's so many times that I feel like as Christians, we feel like we have to be right. Like, that's such a big deal. And love is so much more important than that. And if we could reframe our thinking and um, our heart, really, 
get it out of our mind and into our heart that love is the most important thing. It sounds so simple, but it's so hard to do. Yeah, I believe the Christian faith has gone through that process of excarnation, and we, because of the Reformation, unfortunately, we went from a very incarnated, kinetic, embodied faith Mm -hmm. that had a, within our worship gathering even, a very tactile nature, to now Christianity is, you believe these propositions, you affirm these propositions, you're right. And it it comes down to being right. You know, now, well, are you going to heaven? Depends. Are you right? I don't necessarily think that belief and right belief is to be discarded. Not at all. But it's not the end. Mm -hmm. We don't have right beliefs just to land there and say, okay, have the right. It's, It's all about becoming formed. It's all about being formed so that we can become and be and live and embody love. This would be a good place to read now what Paul said to the church in Corinth. These people who were battling over which is right, which is better, mm-hmm. which set of gifts is better, and who's right in terms of their living, those who eat food that has been sacrificed at the altar of a pagan god, those who haven't. And of course, you see these tensions all throughout the New Testament, circumcised, not circumcised, like who's right? It was part of their culture to have to stick to all these different rules and regulations. And somehow along the way, I think we kept that mentality. Absolutely. I think Jesus helps us depart from that sort of thinking back into what does love require. Right. Uh, I love that Jesus rewrote a lot of the rules. <laughs> broke some of them even. And you'll find people who say he didn't break the rules. He he broke the traditions of men. But that's not true. If you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the laws that are in the Old Testament, <clears throat> he clearly... <laughs> Uh, departs from them. Right. The law says that we can stone this woman. She was caught in adultery. Diffuses that situation. Which brings the point that love is a grace that God gives. And love is more important than being right. Mm -hmm. And God is free to cross God's own line. But we'll get there. Back to the church in Corinth. A reading from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. 
Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. You hear that verse over and over and over again growing up in church. But one of the things that I never thought about, I think a lot of people (laughs) would actually, if they were answering from their heart, say, and the greatest of these is faith. And the circles that we come from. Charismatic folks prize faith, even though they wouldn't say this consciously. I think they prize faith above everything. Everything is about faith. Faith to them is it. It's the answer to all life's problems if you have faith. Sickness, poverty. I think it goes back to the paradigm of the end goal being your personal salvation and getting as many other people, right. quote unquote, saved. Because they associate faith with belief right. and being right. Instead right. of what it is, which is trust. Yeah. And it's not even the greatest. The greatest is love. So it's better to be love than to have all of this faith. And, and even if you falsely identify faith as belief I or think, being right, I should say. Yeah. And I also think that a lot of times we use love as the means to get people saved. You just got to love them through it. You got to love them into it. And love like, them through it. Like, just get over the hump of love. <laughs> then you can actually like convert them. Love is the vehicle yeah. for conversion. And yeah. if you, you Instead get, of conversion being the vehicle for love. Right, exactly. Or love just to be love because that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how people can see the God in us yeah. and the Jesus in us. Like We think it's our work to convert people when it's our work to love people and the holy let the holy spirit then speak into their life and it's it's a work that the holy spirit does yes he uses us as a vehicle but it's not our job mm-hmm. i think i think we give ourselves more responsibility we take and away, credit <laughs> we take way too much credit we put a lot upon human efficacy and we forget to recognize that God is really the one who acts and does these things. Mm-hmm. Going back to the gospel text now and trying to bridge these two together as we muse, as you were saying before, I think it's really crucial. And someone might disagree with this. I, I might be wrong. I don't know. But I think it's really important. Stop trying to be right. Start living or being open to the spirit in your life so that you can become love because I don't think you can actually love is patient. Love is kind. You know, all of these qualities of love. Mm -hmm. If you read that text in first Corinthians, you probably will say to yourself, how is that humanly possible? I don't think it is. I don't think it's humanly possible. I don't think this is like a skill set or a virtue that you work your way into. I think it is something that you Yield to, submit to, render yourself obedient to, open to, and somehow by the power of the Holy Spirit, this God who is love and who has given you love, this love will start to flow through you. You'll become a channel of it. I don't think you make it. I don't think you craft it. I don't think you foster it. I think you steward it. Right. You receive it. You give right. it. And you are probably going to fail at it more often than you succeed 
or you will probably fail to be love mm -hmm. more frequently than you embody love. But as long as you're, hopefully, as long as you're open to being love, right. this kind of love that is expressed ultimately in the love of enemy, that's a good bridge to Luke. Which so is, I do have a question for you. So you called your, your message on Saturday, Cross the Line. Well, this is why so this explain, is a good bridge. Explain the, the title. That's where I was going. So if you look at Luke chapter 4, Jesus has just read from Isaiah, the Isaiah scroll, Isaiah 61. He doesn't really give a sermon, does he? He just reads it, and his sermon is to, basically this was his sermon. He walks over, sits down, hands back the scroll, I think, walks over, sits down, and looks around, and he sees that they're looking at him. And he says, well, I might as well just say it. Mm -hmm. Here's the sermon for today. Here's the, mm -hmm. here's the uh, homily for today's reading. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, right? And, yeah. and, and oh, by the way, I left out the part you I really wanted out, me to say. And <laughs> I left out vengeance on Israel's enemies and uh, the, the, the hook of Isaiah 61, I think, verse 2. I left that out. So they're wondering why you didn't say that, because that's our favorite part. That's that's the we will rock you part, mm -hmm. or he will, I guess, or God will. But anyways, he sits down, doesn't read their favorite part, and then the eyes are on him. They're kind of wondering, uh, they're mesmerized with his gracious words, whether the grace within those words had to do with not issuing <laughs> the coming vengeance on Israel's enemies, or if the grace was just, wow, he's really willing to draw the circle wide here. And then if you had any doubts, he goes a step further, and this is what he says. And I think this is what really got him into trouble. There were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them. So again, he's taken the circle, us. Now he's about to expand it. Look what God is doing. Look what God has always done. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed except this enemy violent commander named Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue what a great sermon. You know, this is what you want as a preacher. When they heard this all in the synagogue, were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But fortunately, he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Okay. Good start. Yep, 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 yep. It's always the sign of a... You, you, did, you did good when they want to hurl you off a cliff. Great job. Jesus, again, takes the circle and obliterates it. Mm -hmm. He says, God has always been doing this. And it's almost like this dumb moment. It's kind of insulting. Mm -hmm. But he's like, uh, look at the prophets. Look what God did. He went outside the line. He brought healing. He brought nourishment to the edge people, the outsider Probably why it bothered him is because of what you were saying. You know, we are the insiders. We are right. So we 
probably can just make our way through this by saying, stop trying to be right. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself to be love. Because if you're not loving, it's a good chance you're not right. Allow God to cross God's own lines. You saw this with Jesus. Mm -hmm. There was a line, God's law, you don't touch lepers. Mm -hmm. Jesus comes along. Remember I brought up Nemo? Yeah. Finding don't, Nemo. don't touch the butt. Don't touch the butt. Jesus touches the boat. <laughs> Jesus touched lepers. There was the God's law said don't heal on the Sabbath or don't work on the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. In public ways. You don't you just don't share wells or conversation with a Samaritan woman. And Jesus sits down has the, I think, the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels with the Samaritan woman, just constantly pushing mm-hmm. that the line or crossing yeah. it, expanding the boundaries, yeah. constantly expanding the boundaries, constantly crossing the line. We caught her in adultery. Law tells us to stone such a woman. The only thing Jesus wrote was in sand. Mm-hmm. He didn't write a Gospel writes down something in the sand. Where are your accusers? Does any man condemn you? No man, Lord, neither do I. Go sin no more. You know, constantly offering love instead of being, quote unquote, right. Yep. And I think this is why James comes along in James 2 and says, you want to be right? You want to know what right looks like? It looks like the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is a radical, I mean, ultimately, loving your neighbor as yourself, the litmus test for that is expressed in the Sermon on the Mount, which is love your enemies. Because this is what God has done for us, to us. He's loved us, Mm -hmm. even when we were far off, even when we were in the wrong. His love is that strong. And... It's the royal law. That's what James says. Yeah. I'd like to challenge everyone out there who might be listening to not just look at love in the way that we that we normally do, but to as as Christians think how can we love like Jesus loved beyond the lines, love across the lines to the point where it might break some religious mm-hmm. rules where mm-hmm. we might appear to be wrong but we would be loving to the point where you know you some people might want to throw you off a cliff who knows but i think that there's things that have happened in the church in the last hundred years that did go against the rules i mean i think of segregation and well going back to slavery and people said well it's in the bible slavery's in the bible and Love demanded that Christians stand up and say, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing with segregation. Christians stand up and say, this is wrong. That yeah. love requires us to march with the cause. Mm-hmm. And I think there's still things going on today that love requires us to say, yeah. this is wrong. And we stand with this group of people. Mm-hmm. We stand with them. And I think that we can creatively come up with our own things of what those things can be. I know that I have things personally that I believe in 
that I think love requires that we stand up for. And um, there might be church rules or religious laws that say no, but love says yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read one guy who wrote, when religious rules get in the way of mercy, compassion, and justice, they should be overridden. And in doing so, you're being faithful to the witness of Jesus Christ and the witness of the gospel. And to go back to your point, I mean, look at what was legal. Segregation was legal. It was right, in other words, legally right. Jim Crow was legal. Mm -hmm. Uh, The things that (laughs) German Christians tolerated, it was legal, right? These were all legal things. And what's really disgusting is that the Bible was used Mm -hmm. for all of this. Yeah. If we're talking just within the past, you know, 100, 200 years, the things that have happened. When you have scripture that reads, slaves obey your masters, it's no wonder that you can, like Brian Zahn says, you can do anything with the Bible. You can make it your dog if you want. Mm -hmm. You can tell it to sit down, stand up, roll over, play dead. But you can't do that with Jesus. And in the example that Christ gives us, we constantly see him crossing over these lines, Mm -hmm. helping us to understand who God really is. So so God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time God hasn't been like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. And I think that is where we are encouraging people to really allow the Holy Spirit to expand you and us, all of us, past rigid, convenient biblicism and fundamentalism and a convenient literal reading of Scripture. Because we only do convenient li- literal readings of Scripture when it's convenient for us, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's when we are in the insider group and it's convenient for us to read this text this way, then we'll gladly yield to a literal reading of Scripture. And I don't think you brought this up on Saturday, but I think it goes along with what we're talking about today. What are Christians known for? Um, what do you, what, if, if there was a survey, and I think you've talked about this before, what outsiders think of Christians? Mm-hmm. That was the whole point of the and, book, Unchristian. Okay, yeah, yeah, so you can explain a little bit more about that, but I'm pretty sure love was not the number one thing. It didn't even make the list. Yeah. When... When Barna and I forget the David Kinneman, I'm probably saying his name wrong. When they did this research, and it's probably now it's old. There's probably new data on this, I'm sure. But when they did this research, yeah, Christians love didn't even make the list. Mm-hmm. So it sounds, justice didn't make the list. Yeah. It sounds a lot like there's a lot of noisy brass and symbols going on out there. It, that's good. Yeah, a lot of noisy brassy um, Christianity has become that. I think in certain ways. Not in every uh, facet of the faith. Thank God there are good people out there Mm -hmm. who are trying to live out what Paul was trying to encourage the church in Corinth to do, and that is to realize that you can have knowledge, you can have God facts, you can have your charismatic, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I if I have faith, you can you can have all these things. But if you don't have love, Mm You're nothing. You're noisy. Let's wrap it up. I want to just read a couple of things from David Ostendorf. 
This was his uh, work on the Luke text, Luke 4. Some of the lines in his uh, commentary were just fire to me. He said, God continues to act far outside our holy walls. I like that line. He goes on to say, God is still unfolding new narratives in our midst. God is unfolding new narratives through the particularities of outsiders or edge people. He is is still writing new narratives and he's still drawing the circle wide. Then he just puts the pedal to the metal and says this, God, the God we proclaim and worship will not be domesticated, homebound, shut in, confined by our temples, and stagnated by our stories. This dynamic God will either jar you to wrath or to faithfulness and simultaneously offer you the opportunity to partner in the creation of new narratives to once again allow God to cross God's own lines. You have to be willing to go across the line. Let's wrap it up with this. So, being right, you can be right all you want, or you can be wrong. For those of you saying, I don't have a lot of God facts. I don't have a lot of knowledge. Well, guess what? Paul tells the church in Corinth in chapter 8, he says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And so, to those listening who say, I don't have a lot of knowledge, I don't really have a lot of God facts, is that a bad thing? I don't, I don't necessarily see that as automatically being detrimental because in the words of Billy Joel, you may be wrong, but if you love neighbor as self and if you keep that royal law and you're always letting love in and giving love out to those who are on the edge, in the margins, outside of the line, then you may be wrong, but you may be right. Mm-hmm. And if you do have a lot of knowledge and you got a lot of abstract, propositional God facts and you feel like you're right, we just can keep going back to this because don't, we don't need to say it any differently than Paul. You can have all that stuff, all the knowledge. You can have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. To the word of faith, people, you can have mountain-moving faith. If you don't have love, what are you? Yeah. You have nothing, you gain nothing. We have a lot of people who have God facts. But we don't have a lot of people who are patient, kind, they're irritable. <laughs> I think I'm talking about myself. <laughs> well, Diana's telling me to wrap it up. So let me go back to love is patient. <laughs> I think people get the point. We have mused enough. Cross the line. Allow God and his spirit to lead you in love, to cross the line, extend that love. Love neighbor as self. Love thy neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy addicted neighbor, etc., etc., etc. Take us out with some prayer. Lord, we thank you for the example that you set for us on how to love across the lines. And we just pray that you would give us the strength, help us to love even when 
we may be in the wrong, so to speak, culturally or socially, but that we would receive the gift of love and that we would share the gift of love. Help us to love not just privately, but also in public. Help us to think of the groups of people who may be ostracized in our society right now, the people that need love. Help us to have discernment, have the willingness to go across the line, to stand with those who need to be loved. Help us as the different streams of the church to come together in love and to not be so worried about being right, but to be concerned more with loving the way that you've instructed us to love and the way that you've modeled for us to love. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. If you want to help support us in this work, please visit our website. If anything, just check it out. But if you feel inclined to give, you can do so by visiting thesacredcommons.com. Click on give. Every single cent has an immediate impact and helps us continue to do this. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you.